Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday RPG. In this case, I am running a homebrew Numenera campaign called the fourth rise of the fourth emperor i don't even really know something about the fourth emperor i think it's probably we're going to call it rise of the fourth emperor this is built on the cypher system and it is a fun cypher system is the game that monty cook games built around the numenera the numenera game and it works really really well this show like all of the work of sly flourish is brought to you by the patrons of sly flourish patrons of sly flourish get access to all kinds of exclusive material exclusive products behind the scenes stuff video previews and access to an exclusive discord channel and all kinds of other stuff. I try to give patrons all kinds of interesting stuff, uh, but most of all patrons help support shows like this. So to the patrons of Sly Flares, thank you so much for being a patron last week in our rise of the fourth emperor game. The characters are working on heist. There's something about kind of the heist model is such a great model for running an RPG. This idea and you, and you can kind of, expand the heist to mean a lot of different things right like we call it a heist but essentially the model for the heist is you have a location that you have to go in which you have to engage in the heist you have goal something you have to accomplish at this place you have the situation at the location who's what where what do they have what what people are around and, and, and then kind of like a plan, right? And the plan is like you leave that up to the players. You kind of talk to the players about how they want to do it. And, and the way a heist model works is they, they, they have these things that they know. They have information that they know about it. You, and it's important that they know the goal and the location and maybe a little bit about the situation, right? But then a good chunk of the situation and any sort of complications, you can sort of keep those back. And then the players talk among themselves about how they're going to accomplish their goal at this location. How are they going to get in? What are they going to do? What are they going to use? What's their big plan? And that's really that's really a, a fun way to, to, to go. And then, of course, you can add complications. And Numenera is very good at adding complications because we have the GM intrusion. We have a way to kind of make things complicated. And I did. So the characters yesterday were, uh, or the yesterday, the characters last week, Plan, plan their operation. Their job is to is to grab up Kimley. Kimley is an ally, former ally of theirs, a former friend of theirs, who is a, a nano or maybe a jack. She became taken over by the by the the, the nanites of the fourth emperor. She kind of got brainwashed, right? And the fourth empire. The, so who is the fourth emperor? The fourth emperor is this super powerful otherworldly entity that exists in sort of three planes of existence at the same time. The prime plane, the world that we're in now, the beyond or the outside, which is worlds outside and the data sphere, right? Which is sort of the, the, the cyber, the world of the, the matrix, right? And it doesn't exist in all three right now, but it has existed in all three before. Very powerful, super, super smart, super scary entity that ruled over all life on the planet during the fourth age of, of the planet. The fourth emperor is coming back and the fourth emperor ruled over all life on the planet down to the cellular level when it was there for about for a few million years. Right. It was that powerful that it controlled life on the planet for a few million years. And then their empire was broken and it was broken by something known as the hex. The hex is sort of like a mutation, some kind of mutation that ended up breaking the fourth emperor, sent it away, you know, maybe became its own kind of entity. I'm not even sure. So. 
the fourth empire is coming back the four, they, they it, it started coming back when old nanites of the fourth empire started getting out and one of the first people that got it was this person named kimley who who inhaled these nanites sort of rewired their brain and then they said i'm gonna go start up the fourth empire they started up this this one temple called the temple of faradon fired up the temple the temple fired a signal up into the sky this the signal to the sky called a herald a herald is like a herald of the fourth empire is a very powerful super artificial intelligence that lives inside of a big sphere the sphere came down and it sent out its signal and it started to the fourth empire started to grow again they are literally terraforming the planet to support the fourth empire all kinds of stuff that are going on so the character is like we have to get our friend kimley and we have a set of nanites that we can use to restore her we have the anti anti nanites right these anti you know anti-voice nanites they're called and they will get rid of the voice that's in her mind this 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 thing the problem is they can't take that through the data sphere so they have to go to the temple of faradon grab her come back and then give her the nanites and they're going to grab her and take her back through the data sphere right through the matrix so they're going to they, they they call it data casting in which basically is like tron their full bodies are transferred into the matrix they run across the matrix they, they come out they grab kimley grab you know come back in run back across come back out give her the nanites. very simple operation right they also had a plan to blow up the data sphere node the data sphere vertex. they call it a vertus the data sphere vertus that's inside the temple of faradon they're going to blow it up so nobody could follow them back through that sounded like a really cool plan so they made their way there and they said you know instead of actually us data casting out or, or real casting back into the world to go up and grab her what if we kind of convince her to come back into the data sphere so they they hacked the system from inside they made their way there got there hacked their system on the way in and they managed to like you know cause troubles right and said like they sent a signal to to uh kimley and said you, you we need you here she's pretending to be one of the nanite one of the nanos one of the they call them the walkers of beyond pretending to be one of the walkers that's in the data sphere saying we you have to come in here we got a problem she came in she's like what the hell and then she looks around it's all her old friends and she's like what are you guys doing here right i thought you were dead right because it's been 14 months we'll get to that part i thought you were dead Right. And they said, no, everything's cool. And you got to come with us. And then a huge voice says, what are you doing here? And they're like, oh, my God, Faradon, the 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 Herald is aware of our presence. And it like pushes two fingers down on two characters, i.e. a GM intrusion, like boom. And it's like, well, who are you and what are you doing here? Right. And they're like, they're stuck. So that's sort of the complication, right? The complication is the Faradon, Faradon, the super powerful, super AI is now aware of their presence. And they have to somehow they have they have Kimley in the data sphere. So that's good. You know, other other things are, are, are going to happen. I'm not sure. But I think it is a pretty I think we have a pretty cool start. Is the heist the perfect adventure design framework? It's pretty great. Perfect is, you know, I don't know that there's much that's perfect in this in this hobby of ours, right? There's this is there there are, there are, I, I'm fascinated by the idea of intractable problems that occur in RPGs. Like there's no great perfect mapping solution, for example. I've yet to find a, a perfect mapping solution, a perfect miniature solution, a perfect way to run. Like you know, there's there's you know there are best practices. So is it an excellent? You know, if we say, is it an excellent adventure design framework? I would say, yes, it is definitely an excellent adventure design, adventure design framework. I like it very much. Perfect. Perfect is, you know, perfect is tough.
so yeah but i but i love i love that model and i do love it for all the reasons you mentioned that you know it's got a place to explore it has lots of agency to the characters it's got a clear goal it's got fun prepping and planning you don't know it's, it's got that fun sort of the dm doesn't know what's going to happen so i think i think it's a really good model and i think it's a good model for dms who are kind of used to controlling the situation to set up heists and do it instead i saw there was an adventures league adventure one of the adventures in the eberron adventures league series uh the oracles of war series had one where you had to engage basically in a heist against this giant machine that's going across the the mornland and i remember the minute they kind of said like okay here's the situation like it was real i was like why why weren't more of these adventures like this because it was really a great and i knew immediately what to do and it helps if you talk to your players and tell them like this is how this is going to operate like i don't have a plan for what you guys are going to do so you're going to have to figure it out so I think that I think that that model that model can work a lot. And you, the fuzzier you make it, the, fu- the the wider you you refer to a heist, you know the, that it's not always a heist. Like in this case, the heist is like who's what's the mark? Well, the mark is a person, right? So it's more like a kidnapping, kind of, you know, a rescue, but it still follows that same model. You have a goal, you have a location, you have a situation at the at the location, you have complications that occur, you have plans that the characters can engage with, and then you have the execution. I think that works really. I think that model works really well. So let's take a look at our notes. We're going to create a a new session generating template for today. Today is May 1st. So we have our characters. So I think we have everybody back. So one of the things I haven't mentioned so far, but those who have been watching this show might be aware, is that I had a 14-month jump in the story that occurred randomly about three sessions ago, and it's changed the entire campaign, which has been really, really fun, really, really cool. And, and does speak to having a more fluid and flexible handle on the campaign can allow something like that to happen. And instead of it being like, oh, my God, I have no idea what to do anymore. I have all this prep work that I did. I was like, no, it's cool. I'm ready to go. Was it easy? It's not easy. Right. But it, but it meant that, like, I could just sort of look at things and move everything forward. And that worked really well. So I was I was very excited by this. And the interesting thing is for the first time we had the two players who were not there when the jump occurred. They came back last week. And that is Nakia and Cecilia. So I'm going to jump to Nakia and Cecilia when we're reviewing our characters. They have spent basically 14 months in the data sphere. They, they figured out that the, the fourth emperor, the, 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 the agents of the fourth emperor have been grabbing up nanos. They've been grabbing up anybody who's got connections to nanos, which is sort of like wizards. Like anytime anybody's got like a connection to the wizards, the ability to manipulate nanos, the fourth emperor has been like finding them, testing them, and then grabbing them and taking them somewhere, right? Where, and this is gone, this is across the whole steadfast. This is across the whole land here. And they've been trying to rescue some, but they weren't able to rescue all of them. And some of them, they, they, they called like the Lost 12, right? And the Lost 12 were essentially 12 nanos who said, we will stay behind and we will let ourselves be captured so that they will think that they've got some of us. And that way, if because if all of us disappear, they'll know something's up. If the, some of us are staying around, it's a little less suspicious that they can't find anybody. And they found 10 of them. 10 of them have been hooked up to 10 tanks that are inside the Temple of Faradon. So that's that's something that they have to worry about. The so Cecilia and and Nakia have been they started off by saying, like, maybe we can hide them somewhere in the giant stalk of Bodrov, this huge town that looks like a big table. If you think about the center part of the of the table, that that's this massive multi-layer kind of ancient place 
they were like, we could hide in there. And like, they'll find us there. So they said, what if we hid in the data sphere? What if we data, we, we have a Virtus that allows people to data cast and basically disappear. We can't get out of the city because they're looking everywhere. What if we data cast into the data sphere and we bring the nanos there and we have our little place? And they did. They built a place that, you know, they, they have a, like a hive, right? Because uh, Cecilia is sort of bee-like, right? And they created this place called that, that where they brought all of these nanos who were then working on the problems. Like, how do we, how do we figure this out? They actually have like a mural where they're trying to show like, you know, that, that the world is a better place, all this kind of stuff. And Nakia is kind of broken. Nakia is like, I don't know what to do. And like, my mom is allied with them. She, he's having trouble figuring out the fact that Maeve, his mother is working with the fourth emperor and she's working with him because she has to because it's like the other towns that didn't they blew up they were they were destroyed because the fourth emperor has satellites in space that are capable of dropping like tungsten bombs that will just blow up an entire city right so they're like we have to work with them but we try to do everything we can to try to protect our people but also survive right and it's really tricky tricky business so so they've been hiding out inside the data sphere. When as soon as our heroes joined the data sphere, they said, "Oh my God, they're back!" Right, and they joined up, and we got everybody back together relatively quickly, with this recognition that like a lot of stuff happened in 14 months, and a lot of stuff happened to these two particular characters in 14 months that we can then draw on and call on, and that can change. Like you know, the nice thing is we keep this flexible bit of time. There's room in there for other stories that we don't we don't know yet. So we like that. So we have Baiko. Baiko is an intuitive jack who rides the lightning. I think it was Baiko who has the device that they were going to use to blow up the Virtus. You know, that's that's pretty cool. We have Cecilia. Cecilia is a no longer graceful. I forget what her it's horrific jack or something like that. She's she's become, you know, so she used to be more humanoid. And now she's become more. So that was her humanoid form. And now this is her new form, right? This is what she's been changing over 14 months, right? And she thinks she only has a couple months left before she becomes like a moth and disappears. Something like that. Very cool. We have Jad the Shade, the meddlesome Jack who exists partially out of phase, played by Joe. We have Juniper, the cheerful nano who possesses a shard of the sun. Not quite as cheerful anymore because a lot of things. We have Nakia. The benefic beneficent Jack who acts without consequence, who has started to act more with consequence. He's trying to recognize what's been going on, keeping his mouth shut. And Sam G1138, a protective glaive who fuses flesh and steel. So, strong start is, what are you doing here? From, and this is the Faradon, the first herald arrives in the data sphere. The characters need to get out of the temple with Kimley, right? They have to escape. I think we will probably have a couple. I think uh, so. There's these. There's these creatures. So I have a little. I have like a little monster codex here. Oh, where's my monster? My fourth emperor bestiary. And there's creatures in here that I've used before. They are temple. Temple Guardians, Master Gophers, right? Discovery page 240, these guys. And I think we're going to have a couple of Master Gophers, maybe three Master Gophers arrive. And I don't know that they'll necessarily get into a fight. The Temple, Guard Temple Guardians of the Fourth, right? And they're sort of like the hand of the Faradon, right? They're, they're the ones that they're directly connected to the Faradon. They can, they can go. That might be an interesting secret, right? Faradon commands the Master Gophers directly. 
So maybe they can capture a piece of a master gopher that will give them this connection back to Faradon. Not, you know, not an easy one, but like a, a, it will give at least a connection point. That could be kind of interesting. So the scenes are arrival of Faradon, escape from the temple of Faradon, return to the hive. Well, they have to, they have to go back to Badrav to give a Kimli the nanites, the anti-voice nanites, right? That's important. And then next steps, right? And they have a few different directions they could go in their next steps. They can, so I think one of the big things is crack Faradon, right? They want to actually, if they can, if they can get access to and control or destroy a herald of the fourth emperor, that gives them a tremendous amount of value, but doing so is not easy and they can't just attack it with human stuff. They need something else. So they need to get something to do that. And there's probably two things that they could get. One, one way is to crack it with breakers who are nanos attuned to the fourth. And they can get those at Scarlet Watch. And that could be a fun side adventure. The alternative path is to get an icebreaker from the hive and that means traveling to the archive of the the, the sixth archive the tomb of the six travel to the tomb of the six archivist and and grab the grab an icebreaker that they could use this is this this would be a weapon of the hive that can crack a that can that can crack a, an archivist or that can crack a herald right hey my mom is here hi mom yay i'm not talking about dismembering I'm talking about cyberspace stuff so those are two ways to crack Faradon. The other thing that they could do, another, another potential path, is to disable, travel to, learn about, and disable a Skybreaker. And which Skybreaker makes sense? There's probably, what's the closest Skybreaker? I get the Sword Hilt. Skybreaker 4 seems like it could be a cool place. I like that one. The Sword Hilt Skybreaker 4 is the closest to a known Virtus. The characters could data cast to. And that would let, that would teach him about the Skybreakers, right? So we have some secrets, some other secrets and clues. I think so that gives us like a good thing to work on today, right? Gets us to our next steps. We could have some downtime, right? You can have a little bit of downtime and the hive. I don't know if we're calling it the hive. Let me, let me, I think I might have it in my locations. Yeah, the nano hive. Yeah, so it is called. So we'll just call it the hive. So downtime and Badrav and the hive, that's them getting kind of prepared. Uh, one thing is because the, f because we've had 14 months in the jump in the story, that's, and, and so much of the enemies, so much of the fourth empire's plan has come forward that does a lot of downward beats which means it's time for a lot of upward beats and that upward beats are like this preparing things and getting things ready and setting the stage and getting a home base there's like a lot of things so that they have because a big thing is like you want to make sure that the players feel like they have control over their destiny here that there are ways you know things have escalated quickly but there's ways that they can go right so some other secrets and clues. A lot of the secrets and clues will probably come from... No, the high... Adrian, the, the high... The, the, the thing you're thinking of is called the hex, right? The hex is a mutation 
of sentient life during the fourth empire that mutated uh, that ended up destroying the fourth empire and created the nearly the created the fifth um, the, the fifth age right which very few know anything about it's sort of a dark age right so we know about that we know that the let's see the heralds have their own layer of the data sphere and their own interconnections. The walkers of beyond are not allowed near that layer. It's superhuman, right? It's like that kind of data connection is completely different than anything that, that humans would normally connect to, which is why they can't just attack it directly. They have to find a way to, to break it, right? The heralds directly command six geosynchronous satellites known as the eyes of the fourth. These eyes give them permanent visibility across the surface of the planet and command a small arsenal of bombs. Yeah, sure. They can drop anywhere in the world in about three minutes. They're essentially tungsten, you know, rods of, you know, these tungsten rods, right? It's like a, it's like a, a mass driver, right? Or a rail gun. You know, the big tungsten rod is fired at super high velocities and it just, it can create the equivalent of a, of a nuclear blast without radiation. What other, what other things do we know? The skybreakers are also on their own layer of the data sphere. Commanded, they are commanded, they're commanded independently, right? From the heralds. What other, let's take a look at the notes from last week because I think I had a bunch of secrets from last week I can harvest. A 6 geosynchronous owned, we, yeah, we just talked about these eyes of the lot of communication between heralds. Satellites also have a limited number of inert missiles they can drop in locations, yep. Heralds have their own doors, only they can enter. No sentience have direct access or held, yep, we talked about that. Only the heralds have access to the eyes of the fourth, yep. Only one known entity was able to break in the heralds, the hex, yep. Fourth Empire has been rounding up nanos to fuel their skybreakers. Yeah, that's, that's an important one, right? These are good. These are all good. I'm going to just steal those. I know you're supposed to rewrite them, but whatever. They're good ones. So one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Hey, I got 10 secrets. Is that probably enough? Probably. I think that, you know, that's probably good enough. Got my strong start. Got my scenes. Got my secrets. Locations. We have the Temple of Faradon. We have the Nano High. We have Badrav. What else do we have? Any other locations? Scarlet Watch. Probably would be worth having another fun cyberspace place that they can visit along the way. So let's build one of those. I have, so patrons of Sly Flourish have access to uh, a couple of documents, a couple of, of I, I, kind of products, sure, called Sly Flourish's Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2. Sly Flourish Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 is actually the early versions of much of the material, all of the material that's available in the Lazy DM's Companion. Sly Flourish, Sly Flourish's Uncovered Secrets Volume 2 
are similar things that are not in the DM's companion. And I doubt they're going to be put out in another book. I don't, I don't have any plans uh, to put them out in another book. So let's take a look. And one of the things available in Sly Flourish's Uncovered Secrets Volume 2 is both a, cy- a cyberspace generator and a science fiction generator, science fantasy generator. Both of these I, I put together specifically to help me run this Numenera game, and, and, but yet they're, I think they're useful for any kind of game. If you're going to run a cyber, cyborg game or you're going to run in some other kind of cyber, cyberpunk game. So, so that, that works. So let's take a look. So we're going we're gonna to build a cyberspace location to have like a place like when they're traveling back from from the Temple of Faradon back to Badrav, we might want to have a location that they that they go to along the way. So so let's take a look. So the location that they run into is six, a virtual coffee shop. That could be kind of kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. I want to try something else. We're gonna try something else. I don't know about coffee shop. Fifteen. A blue organic room, right? So they come to a chamber that's like this weird blue swirling chamber. I like that. And then we try some other stuff. Let's see. I don't need that. There we go. So what? What blocks? What? What's kind of? What's kind of the door to get into this place? Is a spired gate. Right? It has a spired gate. And then we, let's see, that's our barrier. What are some features that it has? We'll roll a couple of features, right? One in 16, it has some destroyed machines and it has a crash glider. I had a crash glider last time. So we're gonna do a different one, 19. A floating torso, right? So what did we say? Destroyed machines, maybe the, the same thing, right? Destroyed, that's kind of cool. What's an interesting environmental effect that's going on? It is, it's like swimming underwater. Very cool. And we have some inhabitants. We'll roll a couple of times, see what we get. Three data ravagers, okay, and 20, a rogue super AI. So the, 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 perhaps the, the floating torso is a super AI, and data ravagers are like parasites. A little bit grim, right? But could be kind of cool. So we will we will keep that 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 works I think. Do we have a name? I think the Numenera one. I have a bunch of names. Yeah. What is this thing called? Osric. Osric is pretty cool. Isn't Osric the name of the Malin? We'll go with Osric. So that's cool. I can I can work with that. I can that gives me that gives me like an interesting place that they could like run into, right? They sort of go in, they see this spired gate, they go in. It's sort of like swimming, it's this big organic pool. There's these little, you know, little devices that are kind of swimming over this this huge sort of floating torso and that this the floating torso is sort of a dead a dead AI, right? A dead super intelligence and the ravagers are slowly taking data from it. That could be kind of neat. So NPCs, we have Kimley. We have What's her name? There's another. There's another Walker, Sanad, Walker of Beyond, Mave. We have, we have. What's the name? The the AI, or not the AI, but the the artificial entity. That's a giant skull. Takrin, Takrin the Excavate. We have, Terence, Terence the Explorer. Any other NPCs? I'd really like to in, in introduce somehow. I want to bring them back. Navro and Burham were were well liked, so I'd like to find a way to bring back 
Navarro and Burham. Navarro and Burham are two explorers, one of whom is is like a human walking around with a stick, and then uh, Burham is a giant three-foot-long carp that has a little mask and, and little gravity things that lets it float. And they're explorers of the ninth world, and I think it would be very fun to have them sort of come back into the pic. Monsters. So we have the... Master Gophers, page 241. Any other monsters? I don't think so. I, I guess we could, let's take a look at Voices of the Data Sphere and see if there's an interesting monster from Voices that we might drop into that location if we ever go there. That might not be bad. There's not a ton of them. Abstracts. Frame Creepers. Kind of neat. The Frame Breaker. The frame breaker could be a, the thing that is getting, the, the thing that's trapped, right? I think that that could be cool. Frame breaker, page 125. So maybe that's the, 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 the super intelligence is this thing, right? And it's sort of, the, it is a demon. It's not really an AI, a super AI. It's a demon, a daemon. And it sort of, it cleans the data sphere and its job is to what? Destroy... So it's it's there to like destroy frames, right? It's it's cleans the data sphere. It's a daemon that cleans the data sphere. I've already used engines before. I think I've used mercurials before. Null striders. The pestilence. These could be what the what the hex is like. Threats beyond imagining. Superintelligence has threatened the galaxy. That's pretty cool. I like that very much. Ooh, these guys. Protocol worms. Yeah, so I think protocol worms would be a good... Oh, the frame breakers from... They are on page 133. Cool. So that works. That gives me, gives me some, fun, some fun things to do. What else do we have? So treasure. I like to roll treasure during the game. Ciphers and stuff like that. So I think... I think we will do that. At some point in the near future, I'm going to want to... At some point in the near future, I'm going to want to look at all of the characters and try to find new interesting items that the characters could have. But I don't think I have to worry about that right now. So I'm not going to worry about that. So is there anything else that I need? I've got some fun locations. I've got some good plans. I, I have some general ideas about where things are going to go. I think our first... The first scene, I'm hoping we'll, you know be good and, and, and really interesting. And then and there's lots of like plans and plan, you know, where they're, where they're going next. I think that that will work. Anything else? So there was one interesting thing that I ran, we ran into last time. I had it, I had it up and then I skipped it. Let me go back to the beginning of this book. And it was the help action, trying to figure out how the help action works. It was not entirely clear. The general, you know, we, we, you know, it's hard to get like your fifth edition ideas out when you're, when you've been running fifth edition for a long time, you kind of think like, of course a character can help another character. And how does that work? Right? So there's actually rules for this. If a character wants to help another character in, in Numenera and in the cipher system, they have a, they have a thing for this, but it got confusing because it seemed really, really powerful as, when I read it. And, and I think I figured out how to run it correct, correctly. Here it is, cooperative actions. I think I figured out how to run it correctly. But I'm still kind of caught up in the language. And I checked it. So this book is revised, right? This is Numenera Discovery, which is the revised version of Numenera. 
And I also checked it in the uh, Cypher core book, right? The, the, the core Cypher rule book. Because I figured like, you know, that they, one of those would have kind of fixed it from the others. So the idea is if you use your help action to help someone with a task, you ease the task, which means it goes down one step. So if it was a level four task, it becomes a level three task. Makes sense. If you have an inability in the task, you don't have any effect. Okay, makes sense. You, you're no good at it. You're not helpful. If you use your action to help someone with a task and you are trained or specialized, the task is eased by two steps instead of one. So now let's say you have a level four task and someone is helping you with it and that and they're trained in whatever it is that's going to help you with it that takes it from a four to a two you haven't even done anything yet and it's already dropped two full steps right okay help is considered an asset and someone receiving help usually can't gain more than two assets on a single task if that help is provided by another character this is where i got tied up in the rules because i was like does that mean two people if every time someone helps you it's considered an asset that means two people can help you and if those two people are trained or specialized, each of them would lower it by two steps, which is four steps or the equivalent of a plus 12 bonus, right? That would take a eight, which is 24, which you can't make, to a four, which is um, 16, right? Significantly, and you haven't even spent any effort yet. You haven't, you haven't actually done anything yet. And you can spend a fair bit of effort to lower things even further, right? That that took me off guard. It seems like that was an awful lot. And and then I so I, I did a little bit of Google and a little bit of searching. And there's another there's another part of the section here where it talks about assets. Yes, and Silverin I think came to the same conclusion I did, which I I'm almost sure is correct. It's just it didn't it didn't read right. Where where's assets? An asset is anything that helps a character with a task, such as having a really good crowbar when trying to force open a door or being put in a rainstorm when put out a fire. Appropriate assets vary from task to task. The perfect all might be perfect for woodworking, but it won't make a dance performance much better. An asset usually eases a task by one step. Assets can never ease a task by more than two steps. Any more than two steps from assets don't count. But the other one said, so so it's the wording that confuses me. So the I think the right way to say it is that no you you no no asset from any source or any number of sources can ever reduce anything by more than two steps. So even if you have two friends that are trained in Numenera or specialized in Numenera who are both going to help you manipulate this door and let's say you're specialized in Numenera, that's not going to lower it like 16 points, right? It's going to lower it you know, the asset can only lower it by two steps. So yeah, all the people helping you can lower it an additional two steps. And if a person was specialized, you really only need one of them to do it. But you're only ever going to, no number of assets is ever going to reduce it by more than two, no matter how many people are doing it. I think that's the correct reading. But it seemed it seemed a little weird, right? Because it says an asset is anything and assets can, an a, assets, i.e. this thing called an asset, can never ease a task by more than two steps. But then the help action said you can't have more than two assets. Well, if each asset can lower it by two steps, that's four steps, right? Right? Help is considered an, an asset. It is one asset, right? And someone receiving help usually can't gain more than two assets on a single task. I think I think I'm I'm getting overly wrapped around it. And I think the answer is it can only ever be dropped by two. No matter how however this works, you can only ever lower it by two, which makes sense. That that that's that two steps is a big 
a big jump on its own. And if you think about it, it's kind of the equivalent of giving someone advantage because advantage is essentially a plus five bonus and easing something by two steps is equivalent of a plus six bonus. So that that makes sense, right? It makes sense that if you have a bunch of people working on it, you can lower it by two assets because you can, you can have that. And if you have two people that aren't even trained in it, as long as they're not hindered, those two people working together could lower it too, right? Makes sense, but that was that was a that was a that was a tricky bit for me. I had I had I had some some trouble with that. So yeah, that's all good. So what do I have left? Is what what else what else is there? I reviewed my characters. I think we have all six characters today for the first time. So that'll be kind of fun. I got my strong start. I know how that's going to go. I've got my scenes. I'm good there. I've got my ten secrets and clues. I think that's plenty of information to 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 go on here. I think we're good there. Bunch of cool locations, bunch of NPCs, some cool monsters. I've also got my bestiary if I ever need to kind of dig into more monsters. Or I can roll randomly, you know, nothing wrong. Anytime they're traveling overland, it can it can it can work. So I think we're all good. I feel good for today's game. So I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me this morning. Thank you for watching this video. If you've been enjoying this on YouTube or listening on the podcast, thank you very much. If you enjoyed this show, you can help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter, supporting me directly on Patreon, picking up any of my books on the Sly Flourish bookstore, or liking this video and subscribing on YouTube. You can find all of that information in the show notes below. Thank you very much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.